Welcome to the great conversation where ideas matter, ideas shape markets, ideas change the world. Uh, many in my community um, are balancing risk and opportunity every day of their lives. That's CEO, the CEO's main function in a company and uh, the various lieutenants who work for that CEO, that's their job, managing risk and opportunity. And as we um, think about that as a working principle in business, we may also want to apply it to ourselves. We're constantly being faced with options and decisions at every phase of our life. And, and whether we should have an underlying architecture before we make those decisions is the question that I wanted to pose to the author of the DNA code, which subtitled The Forensics of Purpose, Passion, and Performance, a gentleman by the name of Mark Damos. Mark, great having you on The Great Conversation. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. And you're in Seattle. I'm in Dallas. And it's a lot hotter in Dallas, I can tell you. <laughs> well, then the ideas coming out of your book and in this conversation today will be larger than life because you're from Texas now, right? I am now. I was in Seattle for 20 years, though. <laughs> okay. Well, we can balance it out with the good old blue bloods of Seattle. There you go. That's right. And, and we're blue bloods because we believe that the sun always shines. It just could be liquid from time to time. I remember it well. <laughs> so, Mark, let, let's dive right into it. I'm so fascinated with how you took this journey that led to this book called The DNI Code, which is, which is really a symbiosis of many of your experiences and your education and, uh, and your life. So tell us that journey. What, what led you to the book, The DNA Code? Sure. I, I'd come to live in Seattle in about 1991. And right at that time, I needed help from somebody in a particular area of life. And I found, I'd written an article about a lady called Dr. Elizabeth Loftus. She was a uh, professor at the University of Washington in the psychology department and law. And I called her up. I didn't know who she was, but she was, for the most part, pretty famous. She's on Oprah. She's on the news all the time. But she said, come pick me up, let's go for lunch. And really from that point on and for the next 20 years, we became great friends. But one of the things she had asked me to do while I was waiting for my work permit was to spend some time cataloging 20 years of case files. Case files from Ted Bundy, the Hillside Strangler. She was involved in the Rodney King case at that time, then Michael Jackson later on. But as I was going through those files, one, I knew nothing about forensics, but then, number two, I got to understand and learn what forensics is. And my fascination with it went beyond that as I continued through the years. I love the process of forensics. I love the, being able to identify evidence, being able to verify evidence. And then from there, what forensics attempts to do is to say, if this is what the evidence is, what does it tell me? What can I be sure of or relatively certain of? And so I began to, to apply that to really what I loved in life, and that is helping people figure out what is innate to their design, their architecture as people. Because if we can figure that out and be relatively certain by identifying different elements of their physical and intellectual and social and emotional and motivational parts of their lives, 
we can hopefully with greater certainty predict where they will be successful in life. And so for the next many years, that, that really has been my pathway. What's so funny, uh, many, uh, there are many voices in the great conversation uh, that come from the risk resilience security field, right? And it's so great in your book because you talked about forensics uh, uh, desired outcome, which is to tell the story. Because if you're going to move from forensics, evidence aggregation, synthesis, assessment, then story, you're feeding the case for obviously uh, a judicial review, right? And, and, and in a sense, it seems, it was so beautiful the way you described it. In a sense, I apply that same process to my life. What is the evidence telling me about my story? That's right. And I think there were just so many, not just through this last year, but it's always been the question, how do I know? How can I get a, a better grasp or handle on what my future looks like? And one of the things that motivated, motivated me was just looking at different college students. My kids are all grown now. But watching students struggle and having outcomes that have not changed in 50 years or 40 years, the dropout rates are just as high. Students change majors two to three times. Um, you know, and there's just this question, and then you run up student debt, you know, you're, you're graduating with what, thirty, forty thousand dollars worth of debt, but you're going, you know, through these different pathways, changing up all the time. And my hope was to some extent say, let's figure it out a little bit earlier. Let's find the right information that gives you the information that allows you to make more informed choices rather than letting some test just tell you. And those tests that they used have been around for 50 years, but they, they've really not changed the outcomes of where these kids are. And it seems like it's a hamster wheel too. Uh, they get on the track in school to, in elementary school, they get on track for college without answering the questions of basic purpose, passion, meaning, who am I designed to be? And, uh, and so now we're going to use four years and $50,000 a year to discover who I am, but that isn't what is taught in school. Doesn't even come close. No, it doesn't. But it, you know, it's really the, it, one of the things that really got my attention early to integrate you know, what the positive into forensics was the strength finder. It came around maybe around uh, 2000, 2001. And so many of the thoughts in there had been what I was trying to integrate into forensics. I was teaching a class in my home called Strength of Strength, a lot of Microsoft executives coming down doing that. And it just allowed me then to help with that integration, make that integration a lot faster. So when people take things like the Strength Finder, immediately the focus changed from what's wrong, how do I fix it? To really saying, if I understand what's right, I can apply it and I can direct it you know, far more precisely. I can make informed, good decisions. And that helps managers. We did a lot of corporate work and with some great companies and really changed the ability to hire and move people around executive boards or let people go. Because it's also very freeing when someone realizes they are not where they should be. And to be able to make the choice to leave and to find where they ought to be. 
And it, it really not only saves the company an awful lot of money, but also allows the person to take control of their own destiny and their own future. Well, I, uh, I'm not sure if this is productive or not. You determine it. But I would love in the next 10 minutes for we're sitting across from each other. And I would love for you to go, Ron, I know, I know we don't have much time. Uh, I'm not going to put you through my six-week course, uh, but in the next 10 minutes, I'm going to kind of give you an architecture to start taking the next right steps. And if the architecture intrigues me, then maybe I can, you can give me some follow-up resources of where to go next. So can you do that for me? Can you take me through that, that journey I need to go on? You know, what I did as part of the book, I pulled together 10 questions, not just the usual, yeah, it's got to be 10 questions, but it really outlines to me the process of what the positive forensic profiling is. And I'll take you through those really quickly. And the first is, what are we looking for? And when we talk about talent, it's something that I do better than the average, and I can repeat it over and over again. So the first part of it is, you know, knowing what the definition of what we're looking for in terms of evidence is. The second part of this is in terms of evidence, we are going to look for it in five different areas of life. And I've called it SPIES, S-P-I-E-S. And S is really spiritual, or you can talk about motivational character. And it's saying, in terms of talent, what stands out in your mind in terms of what has motivated you, maybe even from a young age, what's been important to you? And if people were to look at you, what would they say drives drives you. So that's the first. <laughs> that what drives me becomes obvious in the external in terms of character. It's what defines how I do what I do in life. So now that we have the definition, the second part of it is, where is it in terms of your spirituality or your motivation, your physical, intellectual, emotional, social, you experience the concept, the psychological concept of flow, F-L-O-W. And flow comes from sports psychology, and it really was identified when you watch someone playing sport and they just kept doing what they did with ease without making mistakes. It was a place where they went where time seemed to fly, where they did things with effortless control, emotional problems that they might have outside really just seemed to disappear. So maybe you can identify something uh, intellectually or socially or, or, you know, intellectually, socially, emotionally, or physically, that you do where you've experienced those, you know, those characteristics and something you've done recently. Maybe you can tell me that. Well, that's terrific. I'll, 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 I'll start with it. Um, you know, when you said well, you should start with, what are you looking for? Mm -hmm. What an interesting question. What are you looking for? So before we start the process, what's the outcome? Am I right? What's the outcome I'm looking for? Is that what I'm looking for? No, it's saying, what, how do you define evidence? If we're going to profile talent, how do we define talent? And talent right. to me is the capacity to repeat what I'm above average at. That, that's simply, I've got to be able to repeat it. It's not just something I do once in my life or a few times every now and then. Talent really is something that I'm exceptional at, better than 50, 51%. And I repeat it over and over again. 
So it could be in a math class, it could be in you know, writing, it could be in geology, whatever. Something I'm good at and I can repeat it and really develop and get better at it. But, but that's a skills test. And haven't you found that some people are miserable doing something they're extremely good at? Sometimes. And I think maybe that's because when you look at the S and spies, it's the motivation. They don't see use for it in their lives. They may see a practical application, but they don't see it as something that really drives them. And, um, you know, so I think that's why S is right at the beginning, because we're really looking for motivation in life. And I think you can see that right back in the early years of a child's life, what really matters to them. Right. You know, what takes their attention, they go after what they're willing to stand up for. Right. A friend with. Well, it's so funny because when you're walking through that, you got to flow in mm -hmm. sports psychology. And the first thing I thought of adding all those things up that led to the flow question, mm -hmm. the S question, is I thought of Chariots of Fire when oh, he's running, right? <laughs> And he goes, when I run, what was the famous line? When I run, I... God. Yeah. And that's, I use that when I'm describing flow. You know, it's described in sports psychology as being in the zone. You know, it's the sweet spot. But in, you know, Chariots of Fire, from a religious perspective, it's feeling the pleasure of God, saying, I know as God looks down, this is what I was meant to do and what I was made for. And it's, it's beautiful in terms of just, yeah, description, it really is. When, um, when people are working successfully in a career, but deep down, if you pin them down and they were honest and transparent, are living lives of quiet desperation, that's what Thoreau used to call it, um, quiet desperation. When you begin to ask these questions, do they immediately flip to the practical. It's like, there's no way, Mark, I want to go there. If I go there, I, I, you know, I got to save enough money for retirement. I got a mortgage to pay. Do you hear that all the time? I do. And I, I talk about it in the book and I talk about courage because the more information you get about who you are and where you can make the greatest impact, which is the third question, these 10, you know, when you know what that is, it takes courage to change. It takes courage to leave. It takes courage to go to a manager to say, would you give me the opportunity to? And it does. I've got a mortgage. I've got kids who are in college. I've got all these excuses. But ultimately, you know, it goes to a sense of responsibility in life, obviously. And that, you know, it's good and right to do that. But I think it's, there's, there's a higher ethic to this as well. And that no. is, it puts me on the page where I've got to start exploring those options. Well, I bet you have case study after case study and story after story where it's, it's almost more than courage, isn't it? It's almost, you can tell them if you have a certain faith in the future, a faith in knowing who you are and how to apply it for the best impact on this world, right. good things will happen, but maybe not without sacrifice. Absolutely. And I, again, I think that's where all this comes down to. It's character, it's faith, it's belief, it's all those things. You know, for many in the faith community, it's saying, I trust the person who's given me these things to help me take care of the responsibilities that I have and I've chosen to take into my life as well. But ultimately, who are you going to please? If, it, if this is all there is, you know, 
that, that puts in a whole other uh, <laughs> equation. And that is, I've got to give it all that I can. Am I willing to sacrifice my own happiness for a lot of money or for a lot of fame or for a lot of whatever? Um, but I've got to please me. And it becomes, you know, it's a really selfish endeavor. But again, it, I'm all there is. And this is all there is in terms of, you know, the big picture. Why not? That's a logical conclusion. If I'm a leader in business and I subscribe to what you're saying, that even though I enjoy my job, mm -hmm. I have other people under me that I'm shepherding in my business. It would be quite dangerous to get in a great conversation over this because I might lose my people. <laughs> it's so, or, or back to aligning skill sets, interests, purpose, and passion with something in the organization. Help me, ha have you had experience helping leaders help their employees discover this and, and any case studies on what happened next? Um, I, <laughs> I do. I'm just trying to figure out how to, how to couch it. We worked for a very successful company locally here. Um, was started probably 12, 13 years ago. Was doing up to, I think, almost $200 million a year. We went through the entire, you know, C-level, you know, C-suite, and we really did this talent and profiling analysis on them. And the two people who started were a husband and wife team. And when we delivered what we delivered, we first delivered it in person to each of the, you know, the executive team. But when we got to the CEO and the COO who were married, the CEO basically said, I'm done with you, looked at her husband, said, I'm done with you, you're out of here. It's time for you to take what you want and get on with your life. And I, I've never been in a meeting quite like that. My wife who works with me, she's a psychologist. We sat in there and were somewhat stunned. To, but, but it was really interesting as well. Everybody that we had talked to on the executive board basically said the husband was the glue that held that company together. And I think it was a, as much a fractured marriage as it was anything else, but it was a very good team in terms of, you know, a business and making money. But <laughs> so I'm not sure if that's the sort of example you're looking for, but it, it really had dramatic results. And um, I think two others from the executive board as well left within a year because they honestly felt that they were not part of what the DNA of this company was. And that's also what we did. We did DNA of, you know, profiling of companies and executive boards and or the executive suite. And it really either brought them a lot closer together. It either defined or defined their roles a lot better or it somewhat fractured them. Yeah, yeah. Disruption can be caused by clarity of purpose. It does. Yeah. I'll run through just in one minute the rest of those questions. The first was, you know, in terms of talent, where are you exceptional? Number two is where you experience flow. Number three, where have you made the greatest impact as you look back in your history? What have you done that's had lasting consequences or effect? Number four is who's seen you? 
those are peer witnesses. Yeah, it's like a 360, but forensic, forensics always relies on eyewitnesses or people who have observed and from many different angles. Number five is expert witnesses. Who is it that has ex expertise in the area that you really exist in or perform in and has said you're exceptional or could be exceptional if you continued? Um, number six is what produces positive emotion in your life when you do it? It's somewhat like, you know, the coaches, every coach has the same question. You know, what makes you happy? What makes you, you know, that's, it's always kind of the first question that they lead into everything else with. The next is, what have you repeated over and over again? It's similar to the first one. Um, try to think of the last two. <laughs> it's, but the last one is also, it, it's really an interesting one. It, it says, you know, what is in terms of intuition? that you know you've always been good at, but maybe have not had the courage to explore. And that is something that has not gone away throughout your life. It's not just a passing fancy. It really is something you've known about yourself that is looking for expression and looking to give that part of you to others and to the world. And um, so, yeah, I'm trying to think there's one other one in there, but it's, I'm getting old. Well, here's, here's the good news. Uh, for our listeners, we're going to be putting in the description of this podcast, uh, Mark's uh, contact information, his website, where to find his book, uh, uh, but also pointing in the book where those 10 questions are. So let, we'll, we'll do that in the description as a follow-up. Uh, but... Uh, I love this passion of yours, Mark. At the end of the day, you've obviously gone through your own inventory on this. And let's, let's end with what is that passion that sustains you right now today? To really do more of what I do today. And what I do really is somewhat diverse, but it, it all comes back to the same point. And that is helping people figure out how do they make an impact by giving the very best of who they are to this world. And that is, we work with some of the wealthiest families on this planet. We work with some of the poorest on this planet. But it doesn't really matter, you know, who or where you are. If you don't know and you can't answer clearly that question, you know, who am I? And really describe what it is, where you make impact, what your talents are because that's where happiness is found in life. How can I give to the life of another and bring about impact and bring about change? And it's all about giving. It's not looking internally, which is so much of what, you know, the self-love self and self-analysis and self-discovery is about. It's got nothing ultimately to do with me. It has everything to do with me, but ultimately nothing of what I have has any value unless it's given to the life or to a purpose or to a process that builds the life of other people. So leaders from all over, uh, the challenge with Mark, if you can't answer these questions, uh, please, please seek um, a consultant, somebody who can step you through the process. It will change you and the lives around you for the better. Thank you, Mark Damos, for a great conversation. Thank you so much as well. Greatly appreciate it. Thank you.